0: Hello, oh, apologies for the delay. I'm Vicki Whit from Ratna, a partner in the global employment team at Ellen and Avery, and a very warm welcome to everyone who's joined our call today from across the world, and thank you for bearing with us um, through that short delay. This is the fourth in our series of global calls looking at workplace developments and risks associated with COVID-19. Our previous calls were recorded, and we're recording this call too. Details of where you can find all of these recordings will be circulated to you in the next day or so. I'm delighted to be joined today by several of my Global Employment Colleagues. Let me introduce you to them now. We have Sylvia Bowser from Spain, Hans-Peter Lowe from Germany, Livio Busotto from Italy, Gilles Agnol from Luxembourg, Brian Jebb from the US, Arnold Kaiser from Netherlands, Susanna Ng, Greater China, Claire from France, Inge van der Recken, Belgium. Now, a big topic for this week is how employers are planning for the return to work. Some governments have already announced dates for lifting the restrictions, and we're all turning to the practicalities of how to manage the risks associated with a return to the workplace. Any sense of relief or even pleasure at the prospect of reuniting with colleagues is naturally tempered by concern to ensure we do what we can to avoid a second wave of infection and to protect our vulnerable population. Today, we're going to consider what sorts of measures might be available to employers wanting to ensure a safe and smooth return, and the sorts of issues HR teams should be ready to respond to as employees work towards finding a new normal in the workplace. Now, as with our previous calls, we're going to run the call today in a Q&A format, which I will lead. Before we get stuck into the question of return to work planning, we'll kick off with a round of interesting developments around the globe over the past week so let's get started Um, so I'm gonna ask the team what major developments they've had in their locations over the course of the last week or so but before I turn first to Sylvia in Spain I'm just going to update you um, on developments in the UK um, in particular around our furlough scheme so the HMRC portal for claiming grants under the furlough scheme opened last week Uh, on Monday, 20th April, and there had been some confusion around whether it was necessary to obtain an employee's written agreement to furlough arrangements, because there was a conflict between uh, Treasury direction and government guidance on the point. The guidance had suggested that written consent wasn't necessary, but the direction, which technically takes precedence, said it was necessary, and many employers were alarmed by this development because they'd already put employees on furlough without getting written agreements. The position, however, now appears to be settled insofar as it's likely to be. Further government guidance has since been published, which reiterates that written confirmation of furlough to the employee will suffice. In other words, consent is not required, provided this is done in a way that's consistent with employment law. The guidance specifically says there needs to be a written record, but the employee does not have to provide a written response. Employers needs to keep records for five years um, but there's nothing on the online portal requiring evidence or even a declaration that the employee has provided written consent so this should now offer comfort to those employers who have placed employees on furlough relying on implied consent they will not need to go and get that consent in writing um, so sylvia uh, let me turn to you to ask about developments in spain of late
1: Right. Well, in Spain, thank you, Vicky. On April 22, a new royal decree was published that includes various measures that complement and extend those that had already been adopted in the three previous royal decrees. These measures are basically four. Firstly, the measures relating to the preference for remote work and the right to adjust hours and reduce working hours are extended for two additional months which in practice means extending this measure until the 10th of August. Second, the possibility of carrying out collective procedures for suspension of contracts or reduction of working hours and wages, the so-called ERTEs here, are, are allowed in companies that carry out essential activities. This is activities that have been able to continue being carried out during the state of alarm. Specifically, air tests are allowed for the part of activity not affected by the maintenance conditions of the activity. Thirdly, it's been expressly included in the labour legislation as a serious or very serious labour infringement, the inaccuracies or the falsification of data included by the companies in the air test applications, and the consequence that these infractions could have for the companies are also established. In this way, in the event of no compliance, companies could be obliged to return the amounts unduly received by the employees as an employment benefit when there is no intent or fall of the worker. And in addition, employees would have the right to be paid the salary, 100% of the salary, corresponding to the period of unauthorized employment regulation discounting the amounts that would have been received as employment benefit. And lastly, is regulated the procedure by virtue of which both companies and self-employed workers who do not have any other deferment in force can request deferment in the payment of those debt with social security whose statutory period of income correspond to months between april and june 2020 and in these cases an interest of 1.5 percent will be applied
0: many thanks sylvia let's go to hans peter in germany parliament there please
2: we, uh, in germany there have been some <laughs> <laughs> days uh, the legislator legitimized the use of audio and video content, uh, by limited period Hans. of time. The opportunity to pass results uh, by
0: Hans-Peter, Hans uh, sorry, inter- sorry to interrupt you, Hans-Peter. We're,
2: we're,
0: we're, we're having some difficulty hearing you. Um, I wonder if you could perhaps move oh. to your, an area with better reception. Apologies.
2: Okay, shall I start again? Yes, if you
0: wouldn't mind, apologies.
2: Oh, no problem. Uh, well, as developed in the previous days, the legitimacy of audio and video. Employee representatives are given the opportunity to pass resolutions by video or a telephone conference for the time being. The amendments to the relevant legislation, the Works Constitution Act, enter into force retroactively on 1 March and expire on 31 December 2020. The government has also decided to gradually increase the short-time allowance. The new regulation provides that the previous short-time allowance rates will apply for the first three months. As of the fourth month, 70% or 77% respectively for employees with children of the net wage difference shall be paid. And as of the seventh month, 80% or 87% respectively again for employees with children of the net wage difference shall be paid. However, these regulations apply only until 31 December 2020. At the latest, and finally, the government plans to establish a statutory right to work from home. A draft bill is expected to be published until autumn 2020, and shall allow employees to either switch to home office completely or only for one or two days a week. This is a legislation for the time uh, post-COVID, but it is obviously on the back of the current experiences with working from home, uh, and thus using the opportunity uh, in the discussion whether or not such a statutory right is um, reasonable in the sense that uh, it should be established this statutory right to work from home.
0: Thanks, Hans-Peter, that's very helpful. Um, Now, Livia, you usually have an update for you. It seems to be one of the... uh the most turbulent areas in italy at the moment what what have you got to tell us do we have libya libya hello okay oh hi you're
3: there the sure. formalization perspective And uh, let me say that we have many, many developments to highlight. The first one was on the 24th of April, because a new protocol on COVID-19 has been issued about the health and safety measures. It was signed between the Italian government and the trade unions. The protocol of 24th of April has both integrated the last one signed on 14th of March and confirm its previous provision. This, the new amendments are, let me say, connected to the so-called phase two in order to regulate the envisaged reopening of business activity, which are supposed to come on the 4th of May in Italy. On the 25th of April, the law decree number 18, the so-called qua Italia was converted in law with some amendments, for example, uh, the procedure to follow measure have been simplified, the possibility for employers to hire and extend fixed-term and agency workers during follow period by way of derogation of Italian law. On the 26th of April, um, the Prime Minister had issued a new um, decree. It envisaged a progressive reopening of some activities in three steps. Uh, the dates are 4th of May, uh, secondly, from the 18th of May, uh, some other activities, and the last one on the 1st of June. Last, but not least, we expect a new decree between today and the end of April, uh, in which the ban for dismissal will be extended for further two months, and this is very important for the employers, and the extension of the farlo measures for probably additional nine weeks and new parental leaves.
0: Thanks very much, Livia. That that is interesting to note, but um, might make um, employee planning a little bit more challenging um, for the period coming up. Um, Gilles in Luxembourg, um, do you have developments to report, yes.
4: please? Yes, thank you, Vicky. Um, two developments uh, from my side. The first one is that um, uh, Bank institutions and insurance institutions that tried to get state money and state subsidies in the framework of our partial unemployment scheme, which is a furlough or short-term work scheme, um, has actually been suspended. So the government has not yet decided whether uh, banks and insurance companies will indeed get these uh, state subsidies or not. So far, these sectors have not been considered as sufficiently in crisis in order to get the um, the state money so that uh, that is an open point and we'll of course stay close to that and the second element is that we have a uh, grand ducal regulation which is a governmental regulation uh, that was issued on 17th of april and that introduced a number of health and safety measures in the context of the fight against covid 19 in particular regarding the return to work and for this uh, framework of return to work the employer has a number of additional obligations among which to renew a risk assessment which is usually only done once a year or or even uh, less uh, periodically then um, an obligation to refrain from taking avoidable risks an obligation to keep the number of employees at the workplace as limited as possible, an obligation to inform and train employees on specific measures, an obligation to provide employees with personal protective equipment, and we assume also with uh, masks, of course, um, an obligation to clean premises and also to disinfect surfaces. So a lot of obligations there. The employees will also have a number of obligations in particular to inform about any symptoms or um, a, a high risk contact with the virus. And uh, all of these obligations are under um, under criminal liability in case of breach. So, a lot of interesting developments in Luxembourg.
0: Indeed. And, indeed. and we'll come on to talk a little bit about the return to work. But some of those initiatives are quite prescriptive, aren't they? Um, things that um, employers, I suppose, can, can tangibly start planning for um, at this stage um, already. Um, Brian, um, what's going on in the US?
5: Thank you. So three developments in the US, the first in terms of stay-at-home orders, in the US that's state-based. So three states have already lifted their um, stay-at-home orders um, and others, a lot of other states are, will be lifting them this week, but it's very state-specific. So for instance, in New York where I live, um, I think there's gonna be stay-at-homes for a, for a lot longer yet. Um, the main development in the US is that Congress has approved um, another $310 billion for forgivable loans for small businesses. Uh, These apply only only to employers who have less than 500 employees. Um, They had initially allotted $349 billion for these loans, but the money ran out in less than two weeks. Uh, Demand for this $310 billion is already extremely high, so I wouldn't be surprised if there are calls for that pot to be increased even further. And the third development um, for employers with global operations is, is a question about immigration. Uh, last week, the President tweeted that all immigration would be suspended um, and it was unclear what that meant. Uh, the executive order that has been signed based a 60-day moratorium on issuing of green cards. For any employers who are sponsoring uh, green cards, that will be put on hold. However, the order does not affect uh, temporary work visas such as H-1Bs. Um, there are already legal challenges to that order. So, any uh, employers who are sponsoring foreign workers in the US, I would suggest that you need to watch this.
0: Thanks, Brian. That's very helpful. Particularly particularly important to note for those who are working in in the mobility space. Um, Arnold, um, how are we doing in the Netherlands?
6: Yes, thank you, Vicky. Well, two developments of notes in the Netherlands. In our last call, I noted there was a strong call to make the Dutch wage subsidy scheme more flexible. This scheme covers up to 90% of payroll costs from March through May. And some more flexibility was introduced last week. The scheme requires companies to have at least 20% turnover loss. However, this loss now needs to be calculated at the consolidated group level. And some companies therefore miss out when they have one part of the business that is still holding up, whilst another has seen significant drops in business. Therefore, last week, the government announced that it will allow these groups to calculate turnover loss at an individual group company level. But it will come with stringent conditions. Uh, Firstly, no bonuses and no distribution of dividends are allowed over 2020. And this condition will apply to the entire group. And secondly, companies are required to agree with trade unions or works councils on ways to retain employment levels. The amended regulation is expected this week, which will give some more clarity on these uh, conditions. Another uh, um, related development in the Netherlands is, is that there's a growing trend to limit executive compensation and bonuses when companies ask for government support. The government is requiring build-out companies to not pay out bonuses to their executives. And also the Prime Minister last week indicated that if the current wage subsidy scheme gets extended after June one, it is likely to contain bans on bonuses to executives and dividend distributions. Vicky? Thanks very
0: much, Arnold. Um now Susanna, um we're looking ahead um, to your part of the world in Greater China um, we, you know, in a number of ways, really, to learn at the moment how, how the course of this pandemic might run. I wonder um, what, what
7: the latest is there, and have there been any developments on the legal front in your area? Um, Yes, uh, for Greater China, I think uh, to start off with China, the government's uh, restriction against uh, resumption to work have ended for quite some time. Uh, That was uh, towards the end of February, businesses start to to, to resume the, the, the operation. So in principle, employees can go back to work, although uh, for foreigners holding employment visa or uh, APEC travel card, they are still subject to travel ban, uh, which has not yet uh, been lifted. Um, uh, But then right now, I think the focus of the Chinese government is more um, on stimulating economic growth as part of the recovery from COVID-19. So from an employment perspective, what we have seen is in a couple of cities, um, the local government is actually advocating businesses to adopt a shorter work week of, say, four and a half days per week, so as to give the working population more time to spend Um, and that is uh, uh, what we have seen for for mainland china across the border in hong kong um, uh, some businesses are still subject to mandatory closure the government had eventually now set up an anti uh, Epidemic Fund. The second round of the fund aimed at providing employees and the, the public with wage subsidies. Eligible employers may make application for wage subsidies. Uh, the government had also announced that it will create more jobs in the coming two years. So this is the, uh, the, the recent update uh, from Greater China. Thanks, Suzanne. Really interesting to hear about
0: some of those initiatives to, um to focus on sort of longer term economic recovery um claire in france um anything to report
8: Yes, well, as far as France is is concerned, and setting aside some adjustments on furlough and sickness leaves, uh, the major news is the announcement by our president that confinement will end progressively, starting on 11 of May. So this is coming quite soon, and the prime minister will announce in one hour, uh, precisely the national plan. Uh, This will certainly include, of course, timelines for schools and shops reopening opening uh but also the most certainly instructions to to companies so what we anticipate at this stage is that home working will have to be maintained uh, from uh, for some time where possible but of course um we'll know more in an hour
0: gosh so that's a sort of real breaking news situation we'll, we'll be keeping our eye on that on the news this afternoon for that and finally Inga um
8: what's the latest in Belgium Hi, keep Well, last Friday, the Belgian Security Council announced its roadmap for exiting the lockdown. The process will be gradual, with incremental steps of phase relaxation. The exit strategy also outlines when and how people will be able to get back to work. As of 4 May, industry and B2B services in non-essential sectors – who had to close because social distancing was not possible – will be able to reopen. Daily working will remain the norm, but if that is not possible, companies will be able to restart their activity by taking into account a series of health recommendations, such as wearing face masks. And as of 11 May, all, stories, all stores will be able to reopen as well.
0: Thanks very much. Um, so it really feels like we're moving into a, a whole different sort of phase of, of this pandemic, and the the prospect of workplaces reopening and employees becoming more mobile um, seems to be coming ever closer by the day. And with, with that in mind, I think quite a lot of employers have been giving consideration to whether, as part of their um, return, return to work planning, they ought to um, consider subjecting employees to uh, perhaps medical testing, temperature testing, um, or even in due course when immunity tests are reliable and available, um, asking employees to take them before they return to work. And I, I wonder um, what what the sort of scope of possibility for some of those initiatives might be in the various locations across the world from a legal perspective, obviously, um, in some areas. Um, it is more customary in any event, for example, to, to wear face masks or adopt PPE um, when out and about. Um, but... Some of these, you know, arguably more intrusive arrangements around medical testing could be something quite new culturally in a number of different areas. Um, Brian, is this something that's being looked at in the US? And what's the scope for that sort of arrangement over there?
5: Yeah, thanks, Vicky. So there's been guidance issued in the US uh, by both the Equal, Opportun- Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC as well as OSHA, the Occupational uh, Safety and Health Administration. So guidance has been put out about medical testing. Um, In the US, that's governed by the Americans with Disabilities Act. and That requires that any mandatory test of employees be job-related and consistent with business necessity. Uh, The EEOC guidance has indicated because an individual with COVID-19 will pose a threat to others, an employer may implement uh, screening protocols and they may ask employees questions about symptoms, and they also may require employees to self-report. So those considerations the EEOC has given the thumbs up to. The question about um, immunity testing uh, for for antibodies is more complex. The guidance has, uh, the EEOC guidance has said the employers should exercise caution in implementing antibody testing at this time and should only follow guidance issued by the Food and Drug Administration. In the US, there's concern that some of the immunity tests so far have have not been accurate. Uh, The guidance also noted that currently, the WHO only uh, currently recommends the use of antibody testing in research setting. So I think in terms of employers testing for antibodies, I think that's more a watch this space and U.S. employers will need to follow the guidance of the WHO and the FDA. But at least currently, EOC is not recommending employers should uh, implement antibody testing of its employees.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I agree, and, and it seems to be a look—a common perception that the um, the reliability of immunity tests is somewhat questionable at the moment, but. Um, Certainly in the UK, other measures such as temperature testing might be something that some employers consider undertaking. And strictly speaking, um, that is a possibility, but it's subject to um, some considerable complexity on the data privacy side, which would need to be worked through. But just sort of turning to Arnold in the Netherlands, um, given that we're sort of governed by a a common um, data privacy law, I wonder whether the position... Is the same there, or whether you made your government may be taking a sort of contrasting approach?
6: Well, in the Netherlands, the, uh, the data privacy regulator is uh, is taking a stricter approach than in other countries. Uh, it does not allow for temperature testing. Uh, apart from doubts on the reliability of testing temperatures at the door when a person has not acclimatized, it is simply not allowed by the regulator. Um, the regulator also does not allow employees being required to fill in questionnaires about their health. Last Friday, the regulator made clear that it will take enforcement action against companies that test the temperature of incoming staff or visitors, the only exception being um, employers that work in frontline healthcare. So what is possible? Um, in the Netherlands, a company doctor may check employees for COVID-19 symptoms. Um, Secondly, the employer can instruct his employees to self-monitor, equal to what apparently what's in the US. Especially if they're on site, the employees can, for example, be requested to regularly take their own temperature, also during working hours. And finally, the employer can and should instruct employees to not come into work if they have any cold or flu symptoms or to send them home if the employer has doubts about their, their health. Um, when offices start to reopen more in the Netherlands, employers are well advised to clearly communicate the, uh, the guidelines to staff. Vicky?
0: Interesting. Thank you. Um, it really shows, doesn't it, the importance of diligencing each each location so carefully because the be, what's possible it really will vary. Um, what's the position in Belgium, Inge?
8: Well, under normal circumstances, such health checks by the employers are not allowed in Belgium. However, in, in the context of the COVID-19 outbreak, some have argued that employers may do temperature checks, but subject to strict conditions to be satisfied. And most important conditions are, for instance, the fact that the employer has to inform and consult the competent employee representative body, which would be the health and safety committee, that they can only use reliable non-contact thermometers after consultation with the doctor and with the employee's consent, and that there can be no registration or processing of personal data. But this remains a debated topic. Immunity testing is probably taking it a bit too far, and it may involve more specific testing, such as blood, te- blood testing, which is, is really not uh, considered to be the role of, of the employer, so, so not allowed. And with regard to health questionnaires, uh, the Data Protection Authority in Belgium has clarified that an employer cannot force employees to fill out a health questionnaire. And in any event, with regards to all kinds of health checks, it is important to stress the importance of the role of the company position in that.
0: That's that's interesting, thank you. And I, I just wondered, for, for Italy, uh, Livia how the position might contrast there. I I had understood that perhaps the government had taken really quite a hard line in relation to immunity tests in particular.
3: Thank you, Vicky. Uh, Let me say that the situation seems very similar to Belgium, because normally in Italy, health checks are not allowed. However, in the context of COVID-19, the protocol of 24 April has clarified that the employer can check, so there is not an obligation, but can check the employees temperature before entering company premises if the temperature is higher than 37.5 the employees cannot access to work but from a data protection side the employer is supposed not to track the temperature moving to the uh, immunity test as you mentioned uh, i mean the situation is uh, quite um, strict i mean the local competent authorities may regulate further measures like mandatory testing, uh, uh, immunity testing, and so on. But in this case, the employer cannot, uh, I mean, must just cooperate with the public authorities, but cannot decide on its uh, initiative to, to put in place any uh, testing, immunity testing. So we are waiting for the single region to implement this kind of, uh, of process. Vicky.
0: Thank you. And Livia. I just to add, of interest, do you think that's motivated by concerns about the, the government wanting to maintain control of the sort of supply and distribution of the testing? Is that where perhaps that's coming from?
3: Yeah, absolutely, indeed. And this is the main point that we have in Italy at the moment. We have just to, I mean, the distribution means that we have also some limits in terms of, I mean, checks, serological tests, for example, were decided just by two regions, but uh, at the moment the situation is still debatable.
0: Mm, interesting. So perhaps some reputational considerations for employers to think about there as well when they're purchasing some of this, um, these medical, this medical equipment um, or tests. Um, Sylvia, uh, how is how is the
1: situation in Spain? Well. In Spain, uh, in principle, unless there is a real and serious risk to the health of other employees, workers must give their consent to carry out the tests and temperature controls. And therefore, the particularities of each case will have to be analyzed to arrive at a correct and definite solution um, in line with Uh, with Livio and and Inge for Italy and and Belgium, it's clear that the situation generated by COVID-19 can clearly help justify the adoption of these measures at this moment, but it should be very, very clear with respect to that uh, justification. In any case, this is a situation in which a coordinated and balanced application of level law and data protection legislation will have to be carried out.
0: Oh, yeah, makes makes sense. Um, Gilles, um, it, the Luxembourg government has been quite detailed and prescriptive so far in relation to return to work arrangements. What does it have to say on this front? Uh,
4: on this front, <clears throat> to make it very easy, the situation is almost a copy-paste uh, of the Dutch situation. So a very conservative approach by the Luxembourg Data Protection Authority. The only possibility to find out the temperature or to do testing would be to involve the labor doctor. Now, what you can ask uh, employees to do is to self-test and to uh, react and act appropriately and responsibly. So to say if they have symptoms or if uh, they don't feel well. And then last point, indeed, if they have symptoms and if it is visible uh, or if they, um, they recognize that they have been in a risk situation, they can be sent home. But um regarding the testing itself on a on a mandatory base on a forced basis at the initiative of the employer, the um the um, the, the possibilities are very limited.
0: Thank you. Um and last but not least to Susanna in Greater China, and as I mentioned, um you know the region is seems to be somewhat uh slightly ahead of, of, of the rest of the world. Has have you been seeing these sorts of Things put into
7: practice um, out in China and Hong Kong, Susanna. Um, uh, Vicky, um, in in China, in terms of like medical testing, I think uh, the first issue is whether um, those medical testing devices are readily available in the market, and and secondly, there can also be like. Uh, data privacy issue, as which is similar to uh, what um, most of the jurisdictions are, are experiencing. Um, the Chinese uh, Cybersecurity Authority, um, i.e. the Cyberspace Administration, issued a general guidance note uh, relating to uh, the processing of personal information for epidemic uh, prevention and control. Um, in brief, personal information should not be collected without consent of the individuals unless specifically authorised by law or a competent authority. So, it is important uh, for employer to check if there are any local regulations which allow them to undertake measures which may involve collection of personal information. Um, we are aware that of, of like a few cities where the local regulation permit employers to take temperature or require employees to make self declaration of their own health condition, but then in the absence of any specific permission, employers should only conduct testing on a voluntary basis after receiving consent. Um, the situation in Yeah, the situation in Hong Kong is that uh, the, the, um, the, the process will also involve like a collection of personal information. The Office of Commissioner for Personal Data have made it very clear that the Hong Kong Data Protection Law are not meant to hinder collection of personal information if it is in the public interest, which is the case for Hong Kong. The Commissioner also stressed that in the context of workplace, it is justifiable for employer to collect health data of the employee in order to protect other co-employee and the wider community. However, employers should follow data minimization principle and also in collecting um, data, uh, you should also comply uh, with the restriction in relation to duration of retention and the scope of usage. The commissioner recommended that a less uh, privacy-intrusive methods should be used. Um, this should be in the form of a self-reporting system instead of like a mandatory requirement for doing testing. So, uh, and, and also before, even if like uh, you obtain consent from individual about doing medical testing, before doing that, you should give them a personal information collection statement, which is quite similar to privacy notice under uh, the European GDPR regime. So uh, in short for Hong Kong and China, unless there is like a compelling reason, mandatory uh, medical testing um, on employee in a privacy intrusive manner uh, can be quite problematic unless you get consent from the employees. Mm. So that's, that's interesting. It seems that
0: sort of more or less wherever we are in the world, um, while um, we want to um, do what we can to, I suppose, allay colleagues' concerns about coming to work and feeling that they're going to be working amongst people who, who are not likely to have the infection and balancing, you know, our duty of, of health and safety, um, it's going to be important that we don't lose sight of um, the the rights of the individual and in particular um, in relation to that very sensitive um, health data that we're potentially collecting. Um, Susanna, while I've got you on the line, um, let's talk about the experience of the employee returning to work because, you know, I'm picking up from a lot of clients that we can likely anticipate a reasonable level of anxiety amongst Um, workers about the prospect of returning to work, particularly if that involves the use of of busy transport systems or if the worker is in in some way vulnerable, for example, pregnant workers or those with underlying um, serious health conditions or perhaps um, who have people within their homes who have underlying health conditions. Um, What have you seen in that regard in in your part of the world and what sort of scope do employers have?
7: to insist that employees return to work in those circumstances? Well, I think like um, for China as a starting point, uh, remote working arrangement is used as a temporary measure um, uh, uh, when the COVID-19 first started off. Um, And then um, a month later, uh, the Ministry, when the situation is more or less under control, the Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security issue a set of Q&A, which cover a a number of uh, employment issues in anticipation of uh, the workforce uh, going back to the workplace. One of the questions covered in the Q&A is, what if uh, the employee refused to return to the workplace because of their anxiety? Um, the, um, uh, The Ministry of Human Resources clarified that For those who refuse to return uh, to the workplace, uh, what um, should be done is, um, if there is a trade union, it is uh, for the trade union to advise the employee about the the anti-epidemic measures taken by the employer and the importance of uh, going back to work, so as to persuade the employee to, uh, to actually go back to work. Um, so you can see that the, the policy behind is to encourage people to be back to work so that uh, the, the economy can be uh, back into tra- uh, on track. Um, um, the, the Ministry of Human Resources also clarified that if uh, the effort becomes unsuccessful, unless the employee have any legitimate, legitimate reason for not returning to work, the employer may take appropriate measure. By that, it may mean that the employer is free to impose disciplinary sanction on the employees who refuse to, to, to go back to the workplace. Uh, of course, employers in, in China are legally required to ensure that the workplace is safe and the well-being of employee is protected. Um, so if the working population is more vulnerable to health issues, if they are being like exposed to the risks of COVID-19, that would be like a legitimate reason for them to uh, ask for different treatment. Um, so the guiding principle is that uh, uh, for those who are able to, to, to go back to, to the office or the workplace, they should do that uh, unless the ease is, is for them to, to justify why uh, uh, different treatments should be applied. Um, well, I think for uh, across the border in Hong Kong, uh, employees do not have the right to insist on continuing like uh, remote working environment. Um, employees are required to follow reasonable and lawful order from the employer. So, um, so, so there is no like uh, a set right for employees to insist on uh, having a remote working environment. Of course. Um, in Hong Kong, uh, we adopted the the common law uh, principle. Employers have a duty of care. So for those uh, who are more vulnerable, are known to be vulnerable to health issues, that would also be a legitimate reason for them to uh, have a separate or different arrangement.
0: Which is not dissimilar to the approach that we would take here in the UK. I think uh, um, for somebody who is particular concerns around this, um, we would need an element of consultation and and look at their particular circumstances. Um, If they have certain protected characteristics, of course, there may be um, a duty to make adjustments, which might include um, a a sort of continued home working arrangement for a period of time. I wonder how um, this all contrasts with the position in Central Europe, and in particular, this question around whether, you know, well, in certain circumstances, where, for example, an employee would just rather prefer working from home, can they can they insist on continuing that practice? And I wonder, Olivia, whether this is something that you've been giving thought to in Italy.
3: Thank you, Vicky. Very shortly, yes, I can confirm that in any case, working from home was the trend during the lockdown, and it will be also the same after lockdown. So, if the people prefer working from home, uh, according to the last protocol issued by the government that they can do. So this means that the employer cannot refuse the preference of the employee to stay at home working. Obviously, the balance is between the duties and the preference of the employees. So for some employees, there is not this possibility because the duties uh, and the uh, activities must carried out. In the in the company, but as much as possible after the lockdown. So this means going forward, as from the 4th of May, uh, the the employees um, obviously, if they can, they can prefer to stay at home and uh, working from home, and the employer cannot refuse this preference.
0: Well, that's really interesting. Um, good to know. Thanks, Vivio. And um, Sylvia, is the position different in Spain?
1: Well, I think is is pretty pretty similar. As commented before, in Spain there is an express legal provision for the preferential nature of remote work. Therefore, whenever teleworking is possible, employees must work from home. Consequently, the return to work should be done as far as possible and adapting to the circumstances of each company and each specific job, respecting set legal provision on the preferential nature of teleworking. In any case, in practice, uh, it should be borne in mind that this type of measures and decisions should be included within the escalation plan that each company implements, respecting the protocol of measure that the government will announce precisely today, and, and in coordination with third party collaborator prevention services for this type of occupational health and safety matters. Okay, thank you. Um, Arnold, how about
6: in the Netherlands? Any any differences there? Uh, Well, quite different to Spain and Italy and quite comparable to the UK and greater China and Hong Kong. Um, Just to remind the listeners, the the Netherlands has not seen such a strict lockdown as in other countries. While school, bars and restaurants are closed, shops and public transport have remained open. Um, Workplaces can also be open, although staff should work as much as possible from home. So that's the current restriction. If that's lifted in the future, in the current status, uh, staff in general do not have a statutory right to continue their work from home. In this situation, however, Vicky, as you noted as well, employers have a specific duty of care um, and need to ascertain what the concerns are. If an employee is particularly vulnerable, the current advice is to avoid using public transport. Employers should accommodate that. If staff are too anxious to go back to work without having symptoms, uh, employers should take those concerns seriously and understand the specific concerns. For instance, if public transport, again, is a concern, can start and end times be changed? If it's a generic concern, employers should explain the mitigating measures taken to limit uh, exposure. And um, they can also discuss with employees to take take holidays. on the, on the final note, government, but also public transport companies are expected to come with some further guidance on the return to work. Uh, so, from a duty of care viewpoint, it's essential that uh, that employers follow this guidance and, and keep themselves informed of uh, developments in, uh, in this respect. Vicky?
0: Mm, thank you. That's, that's um, very clear and, and, and quite a common sense approach, I would, I would suggest, Donald. Um, Just in the interest of time, with my final question, um, I'm going to uh, suggest I just limit uh, this to a contribution from Inga in Belgium, because I was going to ask the group what practical measures can and should employers be taking to ensure they eliminate risk in the workplace in particular, referencing on also the duty of a care that employers have. And I understand, Inga, that um, within the last week or so, the Belgian government has um, published quite a prescriptive guide to measures employers might take. And I wonder whether you might just give us a, a, a quick overview of that before I bring this call to a close.
8: That's correct, Vicky. Well, in the context of the exit strategy, the Belgian social partners and the Belgian authorities have indeed agreed on a number of measures to ensure a return to work under safe conditions. And in particular, they have issued a generic handbook of 50 pages on how to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. And this handbook lists all kinds of measures, ranging from washing your hands, keeping physical distance, to how to organize workstations, reception areas, and break rooms how to take the elevator, how to organize a safe commute to and from work. And this guide will be now complemented by sector-specific guides, after which these measures will need to be implemented as much as possible in the individual companies.
0: Thanks, Inga. So, just to draw this together, I think there's certainly a lot for us to be thinking about, and I can't help but think and to work might well be more challenging for employers than the initial move to lockdown. Um, somebody very wisely mentioned to me yesterday the the, sort of, the metaphor, I guess, of um, it, you know, this is a bit like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, and it, it's more complex. Um, we need to be mindful of our duty of care of employers and also to be sensitive and responsive to employee concerns that are raised. But, this in turn is going to need to be balanced against um you know possible and understandable pressure from um business leadership to resume usual levels of productivity particularly if a business's survival is on the line following the recent disruption so a lot for us to think about um my colleague in london um sarah hencho has written a really excellent blog on the, the many challenges that are likely to Um, come up for employers as we do our return to work planning. And I strongly recommend you take a read of that and perhaps we will circulate a link to that along with a link to today's recording. So with that, and on behalf of the Global Employment Team, we thank you very much for giving us your time today and for bearing with us through the early technical disruptions. If you do have any questions um, about the uh, topics we've discussed today, then please don't hesitate to reach out to one of us Um, And in the meantime, we send our best wishes to you, your family and colleagues. Stay healthy and goodbye.